Today we are reacting to the recent drama in the Broncos' ownership situation, and we're answering whether team leaders and vets should skip out on OTA practices like three very important guys did on Monday. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I am your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, what's new, brother? You been following the NBA Finals at all? I am, and it's not a stretch to say that the, the Cavs are the worst team in the Finals in NBA history. I've never seen a team that can't play defense can't hit a three, uh, can't defend. I mean, let's not take anything away from the Warriors. I'm not going to make this an NBA podcast because the Warriors are just unreal. But uh, the, the Cavs, if they didn't have LeBron, they'd be not even in the playoffs. So it's just it's awful to watch. You know, it's going to be another Warriors title. I thought LeBron would step up a little more, but he can't do it all himself. Yeah, just watching. Uh, now I'm kind of a just for what it's worth. I'm kind of a surface NBA fan. I'm not as into it as uh, a lot of guys are, but watching that last seven minutes or so of the game on uh, Sunday night, the Cavs just could not get a bucket to drop in the clutch. You know, being down 10, 13 points, whatever it was at the time, just seeing LeBron trying to take it, uh, you know, take take matters into his own hands. Looks like to me it's going to be – Warriors probably in five. I think the Cavs might get one at home, but right, it wouldn't surprise me if they got swept either. It's just hard when you know the the Warriors are hitting shots from Los Angeles. It's just you can't defend that. What could you do? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it'll be three. You know, uh, a three one four one victory in five. So whatever. Well, we are here to talk football, talk Denver Broncos, and before we do, just a couple pieces of business. Make sure, guys, that you are following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and make sure that you take some time to leave a creative review. Uh, Whether you listen to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube, wherever, take some time, rate the show, leave a creative review, and that's especially a call to action for those of you who might be new listeners to the podcast. Take some time, get that done. Really helps us out a lot in terms of helping us to grow and reach new listeners just like you. Now, one last piece of of business before we dive into what's going on here. We want to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. You guys go get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You get over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or an old MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. And I was using this just today while I was at the gym listening to a book, you know, because I'm a, a voracious reader, but I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that I want to read. But Audible allows me to get these books under my belt while I'm doing other stuff, whether I'm commuting, I'm at the gym, you know, I'm in the, the kitchen, I'm in the yard. And it's always very well produced, uh, very well structured audiobooks, And it's just awesome. You love listening to podcasts. I guarantee you. You try Audible, you're going to love that too, and we're giving you an opportunity to get your first book free along with a 30-day free trial. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, sign up, 
patronize our sponsors. It's a great way to support the show. All right, so late last week, we got to talk about this. Fireworks erupted in Denver uh, when Beth Bolin Wallace, Pat Bolin's second oldest daughter, released a statement to Nikki Jabala of The Athletic proclaiming her interest in becoming the controlling owner of the Denver Broncos. Beth told The Athletic, quote, I know the fans have been anxious and asking quite a few questions about what's happening with the succession plan of the Denver Broncos. I have completed the criteria laid out by the trustees, so I felt it was a good time to come out and express my interest and desire to be a part of the organization again, close quote. Now, the timing of Beth's public statement was curious, and it uh, did not take long for the Broncos' trust, led by team president Joe Ellis, to fire back. Now, this is a lengthy statement. I I think it's important to read it. I'm going to blast through it really quick. Quote, this is the trust led by Joe Ellis, quote, The statements issued by Beth Bolin Wallace today are contrary to Pat Bolin's longstanding succession plan that he created over many years of careful consideration. Pat was determined to ensure the Broncos would remain a premier franchise in the National Football League in the event of his absence. He chose to sustain the team's success in that eventuality by appointing three non-family trustees to determine whether any of his children had become qualified at some point to step into his shoes. Pat did not designate Beth as a trustee or appoint her to a leadership position, nor did he instruct the trustees to specifically mentor her. He made it clear that his children were not automatically entitled to a role with the team and that they would have to earn that opportunity through their accomplishments, qualifications, and character. As trustees honoring the clear wishes of Pat, we have thoroughly evaluated whether Beth is capable of succeeding her father as controlling owner. We have determined that she is not capable or qualified at this time. We have communicated our decision to Beth and her lawyers on multiple occasions. She is also fully informed as to why her employment with the team ended in 2015. Although Beth has declined our invitations to discuss her qualifications for the last two years, we will continue to proactively engage and meet with any of the Bolin children who express a desire to earn the right to succeed their father. As trustees, we will continue to honor Pat's longstanding plan to determine the Broncos' future ownership and any potential appointment of his children to leadership positions within the organization. Our decisions will always be guided by what will ensure the long-term success and stability of the Broncos while also doing what's best for our community, our fans, and the NFL Consistent with Pat's longstanding succession plan, our decisions are not to be dictated by the short-term or personal interests of any individual. We will vigorously defend Pat's plan in responding to these and any statements that are contrary to Pat's words and intentions, closed quote. Now, because that was a long read, I'm not going to read this following quote verbatim, but John Elway also weighed in, but it was in support of Ellis and the Trust, basically saying that Ellis is doing a great job and has full confidence in, uh, in him and their decision to execute Pat's plan. And then last quote, I think this is important before I serve this up to you, Zach, that I'm going to read here from Bill Bolin. Now, this is Pat's brother. He's a former minority owner of the Broncos, issued a public statement to Nikki Jabbala of The Athletic in support of his niece, Beth. Bill said, quote, as Pat's brother and a previous owner, I'm thrilled that Beth wants to take over the leadership of the franchise. I believe there is strong support for this with the fans and Denver as a whole. I'm very surprised and disappointed in the statement that the Pat Bowen Trust Group has put out, 
My brother's wish was to have one of his children run this team. Beth is in the best position of all the children to take over now. She has a plan to take over as a managing owner now and in the future allow the other children to mature and learn and grow into a position, keeping this team in the family and in Denver where it belongs, closed quote. So the last thing really to mention here before I serve this up for discussion to you, Zach, is the other primary candidate for this job. Pat's other daughter, Brittany, uh, has the bona fides and has largely checked off the requisite boxes that Pat put in place when he formed the trust. Now, according to Mike Cliss, who had a very long piece that kind of gives you background on both uh, Brittany and Beth, according to uh, family sources and sources within the trust, they've told Cliss that it's Brittany who's the front runner to take over the team. So the catch is, though, with Brittany, she's only 28. So anyway, there's there's a lot of nuance to this whole issue, Zach. But what's your take and how should we interpret what's going on in what has really become an increasingly public dispute over a multi-billion dollar NFL franchise? I think Nikki put it best on Twitter when she said this ownership situation is not a quarterback competition. It's not two guys going to battle. It's a multi-pronged process with a billion-dollar entity at stake in an NFL franchise, an historic franchise like the Broncos. In terms of age, though, it it would be unusual for a 28-year-old to inherit a franchise, but not totally unprecedented. Uh, Dan Snyder of the Redskins, he was 34 when he took over. Uh, Jed York, as the president of the Niners, he was 27. So there's definitely some precedent there for it to happen. But um, I believe it was Cliss who said on Twitter that Brittany made a statement by not making a statement. She's kind of hiding in the background now and putting together her own plan and doing the groundwork out of the scenes and not making a statement like Beth. And I think Beth kind of pulled out the ru- the rug from under her mm-hmm. by counting her chickens too soon, perhaps, and, and maybe um, putting that plan out there and she's not qualified. That was a very big indictment of what the trust thinks of Beth Bowen by saying she's oh. not qualified. That was a – they could have got by with a couple sentences. That was four paragraphs. So yeah. I, I think for now, Brittany, I agree with Cliss. He is the – she is the front runner, excuse me, uh, but it's going to be a very long, arduous process and it's not going to go away anytime soon. I honestly think that Denver's response was a little bit – strong-armed like perhaps a little bit too uh too much and maybe even uncalled for like bringing up the fact that you know she was let go from the team in 2015 and just going into some of the detail there obviously leaving it open that you know she's not completely x'd out as a as a possible option but that she can continue to increase her qualifications and then come back to the table and be reevaluated. but let me tell you what i think is kind of going on here and the reason for the timing of Beth Bolin Wallace getting with Nikki Jabala and throwing this thing out into the court of public opinion. I think that she is now things we all have to remember is a lot of stuff's been going on with in regard to this uh, ownership issue behind closed doors behind the scenes for years and years right ever since Pat Bolin uh, got sick and had to step down from the team these types of issues and conversations and plans put in place and Bowling children being groomed, doing this, doing that, has been going on for a long time. Countless conversations, countless uh, opportunities for this to be discussed have taken place. Why is it coming out suddenly uh, from Beth Bolin now? And I think one of the reasons is that Beth Bolin honestly believes that Joe Ellis is not doing his job as the guy running the trust. Okay, so I think what she's trying to do is get this into the court of public opinion, um, try and show that she has met 
the qualifications or the requirements laid in, uh, laid out in the trust. And by creating a little bit of a din, creating this in the public eye, try and find a way through her attorneys to get this into court. Okay. And if she can get this into court and they can lay out that, look, I work for the team in an executive role for X amount of years doing this and that. I've, you know, got business experience doing this and that. I have my degree at, you know, uh, this school. I've done all these different things that meet the qualifications laid out by my father. And yet, Joe Ellis and the trust are not giving me the opportunity to stake my claim, basically, and try and get a a judge to weigh in and say, yeah, you know what? Uh, She's got a point here. And perhaps Joe Ellis is protecting some kind of his own you know, personal interest, some kind of power play. I mean, the truth is, he's got a lot of power, obviously, as the team president, and there's no urgency to relinquish that power. So why should he? And when there's no, like, you know, if he can put out publicly that there's no obvious choice to pass the torch in the Bolin family, he can remain in his role indefinitely until the NFL finally weighs in and says, listen, Broncos, you got you to gotta settle this thing. But that's my take. It wouldn't surprise me if she's just trying to find a way to get this into court where through her own lawyers uh, they, can, they can argue and litigate, try and create the idea that, that Joe Ellis is stepped out of bounds here and thus has you know, negated basically the outline of the trust and she should be given control. It does seem a little personal, doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. beyond a business type relationship or a, a transaction, it seems like there's a personal disagreement or detachment there. And we don't know what it is. We're not behind the scenes, obviously. No one will know. But I thought it was interesting that John Elway came out a day later, a guy who yeah. rarely tweets, and it was a very pointed tweet. He said, I want to make one thing clear, and I want to say that uh, he has my support. And when Joe Ellis is above John Elway in the hierarchy, yeah. he doesn't work for him. So – um, it's, it does seem like there's, there's um, uh, everyone has their own side here, picking their own sides of the battle. I just we, we don't know what's going to come of it, and I do think it is personal. And I do think, like you said, Joe Ellis does hold the cards right now. And what's going on with that also, there's no um, – and this is kind of a segue a little bit, but there's no – new stadium name there's no Mm. progress being made on anything involving the broncos on that business side so it seems like everything's at a standstill and joe ellis keeps putting it off publicly we'll get it done we'll get it done we'll get it done they are owned or represented by a company that's out of business right now in sports authority (laughs) so it's i don't really know what's going on but it does seem like joe ellis is uh is making this a little personal and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out well again and clis uh, said that he's been told by sources within the team and within the trust that Pat wanted Brittany to, that she was the ideal candidate of all his children to eventually take over. And with that in mind, perhaps, you know, just playing devil's advocate here, that's what Joe Ellis is trying to, the way he's trying to steer the situation is giving the, the younger sister, who's younger than Beth by nine years, more of an opportunity to check off some of the boxes in the qualifications. Meanwhile, though, the reality is that if you look at her resume, Beth's got, I mean, as good of a, a claim on this as any of the kids at this point. I mean, if it's going to go to one of the Bolin children, urgency-wise, it might not exist right now. The NFL's not putting any pressure on it, but she would seem to be, at this moment, the most qualified, although Brittany's getting really close. She's done a lot of stuff with her law degree, working in a, as a consultant right now with a big firm, has worked at the league office. So she's put in some of the you know requirements, but it seems like Joe Ellis has it out for, for Beth. Not necessarily has it out, but 
the preferred choice is Brittany, and they're trying to stall, so to speak, trying to stiff arm Beth's claim to give Brittany an opportunity to get to the table. But if Beth can get this into court and in any way show evidence that Joe Ellis is in dereliction of duty as the trust guy, the main guy in the trust, then she can force a decision. She can force some activity on this front. It's going to be a long, drawn-out process. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. And to a report that came out from ESPN, they're not going to be sold for a massive sum. They could go for a massive sum. They're worth $2.6 billion, but it's not going to leave the Bolin family. This will get hammered out, but it's going to take a lot of lawyers, a lot of court battles, and a lot of public um, negotiating, and so to speak. And I can say one thing, though. One thing we know for certainty, one Bolin kid it's not going to go to, John Bolin. <laughs> Blood of the city. Blood of the city. Hashtag, yeah. And he was given, uh, you know, significant opportunity working at different facets of the team, starting from equipment to uh, grounds to up in the uh, front office, well, not front office, but uh, some executive roles with marketing, I believe. And uh, unfortunately, I think he had more than one run-in with uh, Johnny Law. He fought the law, the law won. So he's officially out because the the NFL can't afford that kind of a, uh, you know, uh, character smear on one of the owners of the of one of the 32 franchises. But anyway, we'll see how this shakes out. I think for most Broncos fans, just kind of you know licking my thumb, putting it in the air to see which way the wind's blowing. Most Broncos fans, it's not that they don't care, but they're more concerned, obviously, with what's going on on the field. And speaking to that, Broncos got back to business on Monday, and it was the seventh practice of their OTAs. They get 10 of them before mandatory minicamp, which starts the, the 12th of June. But there was some concerning news that came out on Monday that we should get to. Shane Ray's hurt again. Now, it's not a new injury. It's the same thrice-operated upon wrist that derailed his 2017 season. Here's what Coach Vance Joseph had to say about it after practice really quick. Shane's got a... Uh a little risk going on right now. So Irritated, so we're not sure. Okay. We're taking it slow. Just being, just being smart with guys. It's the spring, right? Okay. So our goal is to get him healthy for, for training camp. But right now we're being smart with Shane, and he's not by himself. Not by himself. Is it related to this? Yes, it is. It is. All right, Zach. It kind of goes without saying, obviously, that Ray's biggest issue as a pro has been the injury bug, and that's really what's held him back from completely cashing in on being that bona fide first round pick and obviously that played a role in Denver's decision not to exercise his fifth year option but this nagging wrist issue is something the team very likely knew could become an issue in 2018 and probably helped define the team's decision but in your mind how concerned should we be about race health considering that you know the season doesn't start till September Right. I mean, it's it's too early to, to throw up the you know, the warning signs about this. It's still OTAs. It's still early June. I, I think it's the right thing to do if they let Ray rest until training camp, let's say. Let him get fully healthy. But one thing I noticed in, in pictures that he's put out or, or put up, been put out about him, mm-hmm. he's always had that brace around his left wrist. He hasn't shed that. He's always had some sort of support. So it leads me to believe that maybe – Rushing him back too soon last year after eight games or whatever it was, seven games, mm-hmm. maybe they rushed him back too soon. Maybe he re-aggravated it, and maybe it was worse than they let on because it's something that can get sore in OTAs when there's not a lot of contact and something that's been operated on three times, and the last time was in December. That's not a good sign for his long-term status, but I think he'll be fine come training camp, definitely by the regular season. The smart thing to do is hold him out of practice, 
hold him out of the, uh, the minicamp coming up and let him get healthy for late July and August. The only thing that's going to affect him, though, it's going to give first string reps to Bradley Chubb and Shaq Barrett. Mm. And that's going to give them more of a chance now to leapfrog over Shane Ray on the depth chart if they weren't already, especially Shaq Barrett, who's kind of like the, the wild card here. Uh, but anything Bradley Chubb can do to impress coach, the coaching staff is only going to make their decision easier to start him at OLB opposite Von Miller. So it's not a great uh, outcome for Shane Ray, but it's not. It's too soon to press the panic button just yet. Yeah, that's a good point, though, that any opportunities to uh, missed to be on the field right now, even though it's OTAs, is giving another guy or other guys behind you more of a chance to take your job. But Again, you look at what the Broncos have done with some of the other veterans who are nursing injuries. You look at Ronald Leary, who hasn't practiced because he's got some knee soreness. you got Jared Veldier there keeping working on the sideline, not actually practicing at OTAs with that ankle. Guys that they want to take it slow with, guys who they trust, that they want to have availability when it counts. And, you know, no different for Shane Ray. The Broncos are pumping the brakes. They're taking it slow. But it's just another unfortunate you know, little blip on his resume in terms of his battle with the injury bug. I mean, without that, who's to say what type of career Shane Ray could have already established for himself in the NFL? We know last year it completely derailed his third season in the league, and all we can do is really hope that it's not going to completely derail his fourth season and what is a contract year and an opportunity for him to not only help the Broncos out by balling out in a contract year, but for himself earn that gargantuan second contract as a pass rusher, a premier pass rusher in the NFL. That's what I was going to say. He has no incentive right now to, to participate in voluntary practices. Yeah. When the Broncos declined his option, he's going to become a free agent next offseason. He has to stay healthy. He has an audition for 31 other NFL teams this season to show he's worthy of a new contract to be a starter in the league. So... Um, it, it wasn't a good outcome, like I said, and it, one person, though, we're, we're kind of forgetting about this could really help the roster chances, at least short term, is Jeff Holland, the undrafted linebacker from Auburn. It's a long shot. It's a very crowded corpse, but any sort of opportunity he has, any reps he can get with the second second string, with the third string, it can help him out. It's only going to help the people in back of Shane Ray, but for him, he has to hope he comes back healthy. Yeah. And if he was hurt, if there was any irritation at all, the Broncos held out Valdir, who had an ankle injury last year, Ronald Leary, who has a mysterious injury some, all of a sudden. Why not hold Shane Ray out if there's any question about it? Why throw him back in there when he's always had a brace on that left wrist? He aggravated it, obviously, last year. Why have him practice in voluntary sessions again if that's the case it falls on coaching and Vance Joseph really hasn't learned anything but that's way too way too early of an assumption to make but we'll have to see how it plays out for Shane Ray I think he'll be good come September yeah as long as he gets the opportunity to do some lifting in order to maintain his weight because that was the big issue last year right when he came back he had dropped down to close to 220 and was just ineffectual at the point of attack and setting the edge so if he can try and keep his weight around that 245 mark uh, which is needed for the position he plays on defense, by the time training camp rolls around, I think it could very well ultimately turn out okay for him. But we do still have a lot to get to. But before we do, let us holler at you about why you got to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Mile High Huddle's approach to covering the Broncos, we're not just about reporting the news, but we do pride ourselves on being able to relate to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time, just like we did on Monday with the news breaking on Shane Ray. 
What we like to focus on as well is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, and now coming out of the draft, the march continues on analyzing the 2018 draft class through film reviews. Now, we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums Just click on the green banner at the top of the website, click the monthly or annual option, whichever you prefer, and you'll be locked in. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider info we pick up along the way. And we work hard, you guys, to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web. We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber, and you pull the trigger. You have our word. You will not be disappointed. All right, now moving on, we knew that veteran cornerback Tremaine Brock was signed to that one-year deal to help fill the void created by Aqib Talib's departure and that Brock would compete for snaps at the third spot at the very least. And it's kind of been mentioned in the past. It's touched on by the team. But on Monday, Coach Joseph made it clear that Tremaine Brock is absolutely competing for the second starting job opposite of Chris Harris Jr. Joseph said that Brock is, quote, battling right now with Bradley Roby for the second corner, close quote. And Joseph also said that whoever loses this battle will be the third corner, quote unquote, obviously. Now, this is something I got to say. I don't understand it, Zach. We've talked a little bit about it before on the show. But you look at Max Garcia, for example. I mean, without ever having proved anything, he was grandfathered a starting position by two Mm -hmm. different coaching staffs, one in 2016, one in 2017. Meanwhile, you got Bradley Roby, who helped define the no-fly zone and almost single-handedly in the divisional round against the Pittsburgh Steelers, kept Denver Super Bowl hopes alive when he forced that fumble. And now he has to compete for the number two cornerback job. So it goes without saying, Zach, that all guys have to compete, right? And that, you know, the incumbent starters have to justify their jobs. No question. But should Bradley Roby have to openly compete for that job, especially considering how much the Broncos are paying him right now. I mean, on his fifth year, it's close to $10 million. And for a guy that had next to no impact in 2017 and Tremaine Brock, who's being afforded quite a lot of respect and a huge opportunity by this coaching staff. Well, the thing about the money is I think they're willing to eat that just to see if he's worth being paid a long-term contract next offseason. It's almost like a risk versus reward kind of thing. And competition has been the the big mantra of Vance Joseph in year two now. They have competitions at backup quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, uh, offensive line with the guards and the tackles or the right tackle. Um, So I don't necessarily think it's surprising. Uh, They signed Tremaine Brock to a a one-year contract, kind of a flyer deal. He was off-use last year in Minnesota. Wasn't really used a lot. They had a pretty deep cornerback group there. But when he was healthy with the Niners, as recently as 2016, he was the number 16 cornerback according to Pro Football Focus. He's a capable player. He's over six foot. He excels in man press coverage. He he fits what Joe Woods wants to do on defense. And I think it was a good pickup for them. It gives him some depth. And it allows Brendan Langley behind him not to be thrown into the fire again because he saw what happened last year. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, the uh, Bradley Roby, whether or not he wins this competition, it's immaterial. They're going to have three corners on the field regardless. It's just the kind of defense they play. They're in a lot of sub packages. But they want to see if Bradley Roby, who's been groomed behind Aqib Tlaib, can finally become that guy 
opposite Chris Harris Jr. And they're, I think they're willing to eat that money in the in the interim to see if he's worth extending next offseason. So yeah. competition, like I usually think, can only make the team and the players better. And I don't think it's any different uh, with Bradley Roby and Tremaine Brock. Regardless, though, we'll see a lot of them on the field together yeah. this season. Yeah, and I certainly don't think it can hurt. I really don't. I mean, I'm not saying don't compete. Um, anytime you can get guys competing for a job and and having starting snaps at stake, that can, it's a good thing. It's just curious to me that of all the open competitions for starting jobs on this roster right now, Bradley Roby's slot is one of them. And the, what, what I read into it is simply that it kind of ties into what you said about them being willing to eat some money in order to find out if he can be the long-term successor to Aqib Tlaib. This is their way of really pushing him and motivating him in an effort to get the best performance out of him in this contract year to really see what's up, you know, to see what's what. And meanwhile, you're right. Tremaine Brock, even though 2017 was kind of a, you know, a little blip on his resume, so to speak, I mean, this is a guy you got to like as a former undrafted player, similar to Chris Harris Jr. in that regard, that fought and clawed and found his way uh, onto an NFL roster. And not only that, but significant starter snaps. So he's tenacious. He's got some size, as you mentioned, that you got to like. So this isn't me throwing shade on Tremaine Brock. I'm very hopeful and optimistic about how he can contribute in 2018. It's just curious to me, again, that of all the different competitions that are open and guys even who, where it's not open, guys who are being grandfathered in, Bradley Roby's not one of them. It's, again, I think it, to me it's, it's Vance Joseph trying to send a message in his second year, knowing his leash is very short and he's potentially on the hot seat. He wants to stress competition to show that the best man is going to win. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think competition can breed results, and uh, I I don't I do expect Bradley Roby to be the number two when it's all said and done. But again, you're going to see a lot of them all on the field together, so it's largely a moot point. Now, here's another issue that cropped up on Monday that kind of stuck in my craw. I climbed up on a soapbox of sorts and wrote about it, in fact. But uh, Von Miller, Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, three tenured veterans and leaders on the team, skipped practice on Monday. Now, according to Coach Joseph. Thomas and Sanders were dealing with some, quote, personal matters, but Joseph didn't say the same for Miller, and he had the opportunity to do so. So Miller's absence, all I can infer from that was something different. Now, last week, of course, we talked about it on the show. Vaughn characterized OTAs as a joke and then skips Monday's practice. And I just don't like the the message that's sending to the youth on the roster, nor the precedent that it's setting. And I get it for those of you right now screaming in your cars or, you know, whatever, that, you know, this is only OTAs. I understand that, that it's voluntary, right? And that whole trope, I get it. I really do. But as I wrote about on Monday, look at it this way. If OTAs were so meaningless, why did the great Peyton Manning always attend them, never skip them, right? Whether he... As for it or not, the bottom line is Von Miller is a leader of this team, and unless it was some sort of a family emergency, which it might have been, although if it were, I think Joseph would have said so, I just don't see how it's a good thing that Von skipped an OTA practice. Coming off a 5-11 season, it's just not a good look. One of 10 mandated practices, the mandatory portion, of course, of OTAs, as mentioned, starts on June 12th, but... Am I making a mountain out of a molehill on this, Zach? I mean, I get that it's not a huge deal, but it does concern me. But am I making too much of it? I think you're making a molehill out of a molehill. It's 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 not a, a huge deal. You know, you want all your players to be there. Uh, obviously, you want full attendance. It just is a good look for the team. It's good for morale. It's good for team building. 
But you also, on the flip side, you don't want a freak injury to happen like what you saw with DeAndre's mount last last week and he tore his Achilles. So God forbid that happens to Von Miller and then everyone's saying, why was he practicing? Um, it's you know it's it's his choice. It's voluntary. It's not mandatory, and he'll be there at mini camp. He'll be there at training camp. So until that changes, I don't think we should um, hold Von accountable for missing one practice when he's Von Miller, and I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt by being a superstar leader and face of the franchise. I would have said a, a year ago that he earned the benefit of the doubt, but coming off of five and eleven a season, it's just a it's just different animal. It's a different setting. Uh, it's a different environment. And it's fine. If he wants to skip one of these practices, as he did, that's cool. Just don't stand up at the podium and talk about how, um, you know, every rep matters and how embarrassed you were by 5-11 and 11 and all those talking points. And just don't, don't bring it up because you got a group, a core of young players led by a guy that you're supposed to be mentoring in Bradley Chubb. And you also have a group of veterans that are looking at you going, oh, yeah, these are, uh, you know, voluntary I got Tuesday's practice, I got Wednesday, Thursday, you know, maybe I'll uh, come up with something so I don't have to to work on Thursday. After all, they are voluntary. I mean, that's, it's, it's, again, it's making a mountain out of a molehill, I'll I'll acknowledge that, but it does irritate me, and if this was a team not coming off 5-11, and I wouldn't even be talking about it, honestly. That's really where the rubber meets the road for me, is that I think guys should be going the extra mile, even in these voluntary portions, to do whatever it takes to not miss a rep, and especially the guys in leadership positions, which, you know, three of these guys, all three of them today, they're not injured, two were personal issues, fine, something comes up, happens to us all at times, right? With work, something comes up, you can't go in. But Von Miller, I think he should be there. I agree with you that it doesn't send a, a great message to the younger players, the rest of his teammates, the coaching staff by uh, getting up there and saying they're a joke and, and every rep counts like you said, and then he doesn't show up for one. Um, I disagree, though, that that the 5-11 and 11 thing, it wasn't on Von Miller. I mean, he had 10 sacks last year, and he still gave it his all. Uh, he was the least of the Broncos' concerns. It's, you need all your players to come together for sure, but I think he will be out there tomorrow. He'll be out there for minicamp and training camp, and, and like I said, until that changes, you really can't point the finger too much. Um, um, so just it's it's not much to make out of. I, it's still Von Miller, and I still he does the best for his team. He's a consummate teammate, consummate professional. It was surprising, but it's not stunning that he wasn't there. Well, in the leadership realm, one thing we need to talk about is the fact that the Denver Broncos have kind of hired themselves a pass rushing coach. Uh, we've discussed this on past episodes of the show, and that. It's DeMarcus Ware. He was the preferred choice. The team also talked to former NFLer Chad Brown about the job or the role, but ultimately Ware was able to juggle his schedule and, I guess, make time to be at Dove Valley last week for OTAs. Now, I'm kind of loath to use the term hired as it applies to the Broncos and DeMarcus Ware because it kind of implies a permanence uh, or a full-time type of deal, but he was brought in as a pass rush consultant. And he was there last week, wasn't there today, but we did see him out on the grass, and Vance Joseph spoke to it on Monday. Here's what he said really quick. DeMarcus, he's he's our uh, pass rush consultant, you know, and obviously he played with these guys. They have great respect for DeMarcus. And he's, he's got so much knowledge when it comes to pass rush, not just for the outside guys, but, but for the inside guys also, like woofing those guys. So it was good to have him out here, and hopefully we can get him back in a couple weeks. Now, Zach, as you reported over the weekend, John Elway is hopeful that Ware's role can be expanded in the future. Maybe you can elaborate on that 
what you learned, depending on what where's you know professional priorities are, I guess, and what his schedule might be. But no matter which way you cut it, where's presence is ideal and not only helps out young edge rushers like Bradley Chubb and Jeff Holland, but also the D-line, a couple of whom were raving about him last week at their opportunity at the podium. Let me first say that it was a home run move. It was a no-brainer move. If they're not going to replace their outside linebackers coach, they want to bring in a pass rush instructor. There is no better free agent out there, quote unquote, than Demarcus Ware. He's just—he's a future Hall of Famer. He had a three-year tenure in Denver that helped bring them a Super Bowl title, and he's still close to the team. He still has a lot of friends on the team. He mentored Von Miller, Shane Ray, Shaquille Barrett. And the only thing is, though, if he doesn't come on for a full-time role, he's a very affluent media personality. He's very well-spoken, very articulate. He appears on NFL Network frequently. He might angle for a job at a permanent network and a very lucrative offer and not have to be on the sidelines sweating in the heat coaching up players. Uh, but I love the move, and I think it can only help. It was mostly, I think, for Bradley Chubb. Because you don't need to teach Von Miller anything. He, he knows. And DeMarcus Ware kind of passed the torch already. But Von is passing the torch to Bradley Chubb, and Von got it from Ware. So it was kind of a full circle thing, and I love to see it. I love to see him out there, Ware giving Chubb one-on-one instruction, coaching him up. Anything he can take out of this, these sessions, can help him become a better short-term player, and his long-term development can also be benefited by DeMarcus Ware. So it was a home run move by Vance Joseph. The fan base loved it. The team loved it. I'm a big fan of it. I hope he can stick around, but knowing his other obligations, it would not be surprising if he decided to go in a different direction uh, this summer. It sounds like the Broncos would very much like it to be a permanent type of move, but we're talking about, you know, when you say lucrative, you're talking about a job where you can put in part-time hours as DeMarcus Ware and make upwards of millions of dollars, potentially, on television as an analyst compared to a job as a who knows what they're paying him or what their offer would right. be to him as a full-time uh, pass rush coach or an outside linebackers coach. But it's relative peanuts uh, in terms of what tradition is for you know, or custom, I should say, to pay assistant coaches compared to what he would be getting as potentially as an NFL, you know, analyst on television. So it's understandable that he's kind of like, you know, at least come in and help see how it goes. And, you know, we'll see what type of offers come my way uh, as far as the networks on TV. But you're right. I mean, it's full circle is a great way to portray this. DeMarcus Ware can step in and keep the party rolling, keep, you know, sharing these tricks of the trade. A guy that's got, if I remember right, something like, I think it's 138 and a half sacks. This guy knows how to get to the quarterback and what better way to get that uh, that edge group who, as a collective, kind of underperformed last year without Ware, the first year without Ware, basically, to kind of reorient them, get them back on the path to attacking quarterbacks, try and get those 33 team sacks back up into the mid to high 40s at the very least. And if they can do that, and if Ware can play a role in doing that, you're going to see a Broncos defense that can win a lot of games in 2018. And to the point about money, maybe he's made enough in his career with the Cowboys and the Broncos. He doesn't care about the money. He wants it for the love of the game. And if that's the case, it gives the Broncos a good chance to bring him on as a full-time coach. I still think it's unlikely that he'll become a full-time pass rush instructor. I think it's just for OTAs, maybe minicamp, maybe at the forest extent training camp. But it's good to see him back in Dud Valley. It's good to see him teach Bradley Chubb. Um, there's nothing not to like about the, uh, the, the marriage here. One last thing on this topic is, you know, you you wonder what some of these assistants make when the Broncos chose not to bring back 
Wade Phillips, who was a defensive coordinator and a guy who uh, basically was the brainchild behind arguably, at the very least, one of the top five defenses of all time in the NFL, coming off a Super Bowl win, he wanted to be the highest paid coordinator in the NFL. And the Broncos just didn't want to do it. We all remember that. I don't, we don't need to retread that. But he wanted basically two and a half million bucks a year to be a coordinator. And most coaches make only a fraction of that. Most coaches, you know, coordinators will get a little bit more than that, obviously. But assistants, they're not making that type of money. Um, and even a guy like DeMarcus Ware, who for all of his practical experience as a player, he's not a professional coach. And so he's, you know, he's been a willing and passionate teacher throughout his entire time as a player. But there's a difference between doing that on the side and actually being a professional coach. So, you know, the Broncos have to also weigh, even if Ware came to the table and was like, look, I want to do this full time. They got to weigh, figure out value wise, how much to pay him. The Wade Phillips thing, that's still, that's still yeah. sucking my craw. It's why not pay the guy? I mean, he's bona fide. I don't, I don't know. I never agree with that. And it's coming back to bite them. He had a good uh, season with the Rams last year. I know I'm going off way off track here, but no, it's all good. Uh, it's Wade, Wade, Wade Phillips, man, like he was, uh, he deserved every penny he got. And I was sad to see him go. Well, I read his book, Son of Bum. If uh, if you haven't read it, phenomenal read. And it really kind of takes you behind the scenes of that 2015 Super Bowl season. Also, his time as head coach of the Denver Broncos for two years back in the early 90s right. when he succeeded Dan Reeves. But uh, one thing that about Wade Phillips that makes him such a an effective defensive coordinator is, you know, he's not the most fiery guy. Um, and even from a game planning strategy perspective, maybe not, you can't put him up there with someone like a Bill Belichick, you know, a brainiac in that regard. But where Wade Phillips rises to the surface compared to all of his peers, and I say all of his peers in the NFL, is there is no better play caller as a defensive coordinator than Wade Phillips and a guy who can get into a groove in a game and feel that nuance and sense what's happening in the mind of a quarterback and an offensive, you know, an opposing offensive coordinator and just know what play to call in the right situation to put his defense in the best position. That's what separated him, and that's why, and I agree with you, he's he was worth that two and a half million bucks. But the Broncos, they're looking at it like, look, look how ridiculously loaded that defense was. They were of the opinion that it was the personnel that was the greater uh, ingredient in that success than the coordinator. And so that's why you saw the split. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And even Joe Woods talked about it uh, last week that, you know, you see the the biggest change in the Broncos' defense in 2017 without Wade Phillips was situationally, as a play caller, it was it takes time. You know, it's it's something that comes with practical application. And a guy like Wade Phillips has been doing it for three decades, mm-hmm. whereas Joe Woods was really doing it for the first time mm-hmm. last year as a coordinator. So it's going to take him some time. And, you know, some guys have more of a natural talent for it. But that's what separates the good coordinators from the best on both sides of the ball is the ability to game plan, the ability to call plays in the moment and exploit your opposition. He was also so relatable with all the players. He oh, yeah. knew how to mold to their personalities. He took a locker room with 
Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr., Keep to Leap, TJ Ward, and he kept them together. Not only kept them together, he maximized all their potential and and made that 2015 defense one of the best in NFL history. So maybe the Broncos wanted to save some money in, in 2016. They hired Vance Joseph, who had a defensive <laughs> background. Yeah. Maybe they maybe they got cheap at the wrong time. Maybe they thought Joe Woods can take over. But I do miss Wade Phillips, and I wish him all the success in, in L.A. He's certainly uh, one of the best the NFL has ever seen. I'm telling you guys, go out on Amazon. Get that book, Son of Bum by Wade Phillips. It's a short read. I mean, you know, it's a couple hundred pages, but it's big print. You'll blow through it really quick, and it's just phenomenal information and background on the team you love. So quick update on quarterback watch before we get to the Mile High Mailbag. You know, we don't have a competition, obviously, for the starting job this time around. Thank the football gods. But Paxton Lynch and Chad Kelly, they're the ones dueling it out for that backup gig. And I wrote about this over the weekend But it would seem that Lynch has the edge thus far and has been the superior player. Now, nothing shocks me more than to report this to you, okay? But on Monday, Cecil Lammy of 104.3 The Fan, who was present at practice on Monday, said that Kelly struggled. And to paraphrase Lammy, he said that Kelly was up and down and that he was particularly not on point in red zone work. So very interesting the way that he uh, characterized Kelly at this point. And to me, Zach, this is one of those examples of OTAs just being, it's way too early to get head over heels on a a storyline like this. When the pads go on in training camp, you're going to see this battle uh, get cranked up many notches. It's going to heat up. Meanwhile, I wouldn't take the developments with a, you know, grain of salt exactly. You know, we're going to analyze everything, but Lynch has been, the clear number two thus far with Kelly as three, and then, of course, Nick Stevens, the camp arm, as number four. But what are your thoughts on, on these developments on quarterback watch? Well, you and I, we, it's safe to say we aren't the biggest packs of Lynch fans. We made that kind of apparent. And to give him credit where credit's due, he has stepped up the last couple of weeks. He, he's shown good ball placement. He's connected with receivers, veterans, and rookies. And he's done pretty well to, to leapfrog Chad Kelly and put some distance behind and, you know, in front of him with the competition behind Case Keenum. But what are we supposed to expect? He has three years in the NFL. Chad Kelly hasn't played one down. Yeah. If it'd be worse, it'd be more telling if he's losing that competition. He should be winning in OTAs when they're going against air and and you know and nine on seven drills. So it's it's it's. I still think Kelly will win that job. He'll be the backup this year, and it's going to happen in preseason training camp. And Lynch did show well in OTAs, but this should have happened. He has three years. He was a first round pick. Chad Kelly hasn't played one snap. He was a seventh-round pick. He was Mr. Irrelevant. He was injured all last year. So at this point in time, I think it's going as it should be going. You know, and the one thing to point out in regard to the whole Paxton Lynch trope, you know, with him showing some positive signs in 2018 is this time last year, I don't know if you guys remember this, but all of the buzz and talk out of Dove Valley was you had players saying, oh, yeah, there's something different about Paxton this time. And, like, you know, he's coming into this thing with a totally different mindset and, you know, there's some fire in him and, you know, it didn't really come out in the wash, you know, when the, when the chips were down and the rubber met the road in training camp in the preseason, he wilted, right? We saw that happen. So that's one of the reasons why we can't get too ahead of ourselves, but with Chad Kelly, you know, you want to see him be a little bit more consistent at this point, but you can't be overly uh, pessimistic in the fact that, as you pointed out, not only has he not even played a single snap in the NFL yet, but he's learning a completely new offense, which we learned also last week from Bill Musgrave. This system, completely new. And p- fans go, well, wait a minute. He was the offensive coordinator last year. Well, 
He was the interim offensive coordinator last year, second half of the season. And it's just so you understand, fans, NFL teams, when the offense goes in in the offseason, that's the offense till the season is over, period, end of story. It does right. not get uh, one playbook comes in, the other one thrown out. That does not happen in the NFL because so many man hours go into the installs and teaching that teams just don't have the time to do it. Uh, when the bullets are flying during the regular season. So what you saw Bill Musgrave do last year is he gets promoted from quarterback's coach to interim offensive coordinator, and the plays he's calling and the game plans he's structuring, they're all based on the bones of Mike McCoy's system. So this time around, that's all getting thrown out the, the window, so to speak, and Musgrave is bringing in his own offense, his own system, different verbiage even. So that puts everybody on a level playing field, which is the good news. I mean, he feels like he can teach it in a timely manner and get it installed, and I, I'm not worried about that. But Kelly, in that sense, is learning a new offense, going along also with his learning curve to the you know NFL, playing with NFL speed of defensive backs and all that stuff. So we got to keep that in mind too. Absolutely great point about Bill Musgrave and Mike McCoy. When McCoy got fired, all Musgrave did pretty much was pare down the playbook. He simplified the offense. He didn't change the offense. It wasn't his scheme. And he's got the chance this offseason as the full-time OC, like you said, to put his own scheme in. Every coordinator has his own mark. He has his own plays. And you're seeing it. You're going to see it this year with Bill Musgrave. And I think Chad Kelly has to take more chances. He feels the pressure a little bit more. And that's why I think um, Lammy said he was up and down. That's what you're going to see from an inexperienced guy who has an uphill battle, so to speak, against a 30-year pro, former first-round pick who was told to relax sit back and relax (laughs) and not have to worry about starting a quarterback this year so uh, it's nothing really too surprising right now I still think when it's all said and done Kelly will leapfrog Paxton Lynch Um, but right now Paxton is doing well and you got to give him credit that's quarterback watch for this week we'll have some more information for you when next we meet but for now it's that time of the week where Zach and I take a quick peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because we are your football priests, and we're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And our first one comes from Matty Moles on Twitter, at Matty Moles Pod. Perhaps he's a podcaster. His question, rumors about Emmanuel Sanders being released next offseason can say the same for DT and Marshall, too, based just off of money. Question, is there really smoke to this besides money? Chances of a pay cut? Question mark. Zach, your answer. First of all, I'm pretty well-versed in the story because I wrote it earlier today. (laughs) Second of all, the Broncos brought back Emmanuel Sanders. It was very surprising to me, and even to Sanders, who admitted he thought he'd be gone. (laughs) He said that to a reporter, (laughs) and all the signs pointed to it. All those tea leaves suggested that he was a goner. They're not going to be able to keep Demarius and Emmanuel Sanders. They account for $20 million this season. They're both highly paid. The Broncos were kind of against the salary cap, up against the salary cap wall. Um, One of them, I think this, I can safely say this offseason coming up next offseason one of them is destined to go and if one of them is the case I think it will be Emmanuel Sanders Uh, Demarius is just that homegrown Bronco he's just a guy I could see taking a pay cut uh, retiring with the Broncos potentially he's just accomplished more in this realm than Emmanuel Sanders who came from the Steelers and he's uh, I just think he'll be gone next year and he'll be kind of on to his next team he's going to be 32 he's not going to be worth the money over 10 million this season they can't keep everyone and they wanted to keep them around both of them to have a stable pass catching group for Case Keenum that was the most important thing is to give him weapons and they did smart by hedging their bets and drafting Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton who are clones of Thomas and Sanders 
So um, I don't see a pay cut for Emmanuel. I think he'll be traded or more than likely released next season, next offseason. And I think maybe uh, Demarius Thomas will take a slightly different restructure in his deal. He will stick around. So one of them is gone. I do think it will be Emmanuel. I agree. I don't think you're going to be able to trade a, a veteran with that amount of dollars on his on his salary on his contract who is over 30 by by that point it'll be close to 2 years over 30 and you know you it, you mentioned this in the piece today that he went from being a 1000-yard receiver to last year barely getting over 500 yards and a lot of that was circumstantial in terms of the bad quarterback position the offense in and over its head his injuries and all that but father time remains undefeated and as players get older they become more susceptible to injury and then it also takes them longer to recover now it wouldn't surprise me to see sanders kind of abdicate his role as the second receiver opposite of thomas this year with someone like sutton who's been the star of otas uh, or the great route runner in hamilton stepping in there so to answer your question maddie yeah, I think there's more than smoke to this. There's some real fire to him being gone next year. Sanders, that is. Next question comes from Derek Favretto. He is a VIP member at Mile High Huddle. Great dude. Love conversation with Derek. His question, do you think Denver maybe brings in a veteran tight end, Zach? No, that ship has sailed. They had a chance this in free agency this offseason. They didn't want to bring a guy in. They let Virgil Green go. Uh, I think they wanted a youth movement. They let Green go to the Chargers. They had Jake Butt coming back, who they're very, very, very high on, and with good reason. Uh, they drafted Troy Fumagalli, and they have Jeff Hireman, who they're holding some hope out for. They also have Austin Trailer. So among that group, they already have their vet in Hireman, but they're really excited about the young guys in Butt and Fumagalli. And I think one of those players, more than likely Butt, will step up to be the tight end one of now and the future. So they're not going to bring a, a veteran tight end. I thought in the past Mercedes Lewis would have been a good fit, but yeah. it just didn't happen. He signed and going with, Bay, didn't he? Yeah, and they're going with what they have. So, Yeah. I mean, follow what they say, sure. But more in the NFL, you, you just follow what they do. And the Broncos spoke volumes by not getting into the tight end market when free agency opened up. They're high as hell on Jake Butt, and they believe he can be that quintessential wide tight end where you know you can put him on the field on first, second, and third down, and it doesn't automatically give away to the defense what you're doing. So uh, the only way I see Denver bringing in another tight end into this situation is if the injury bug strikes, knock on wood. But that's going to do it for today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. As always, the best way to get a direct response from us, hit us up on the MHH Insiders Premium Message Board, but we're always going to try to engage with you, our listeners, as often as we can on social media, so don't be shy about asking us questions. We've also been flirting with the idea of doing some live podcasts on YouTube. Now, if you want that to happen, let us know in the comments, and we'll start putting a plan together. And then here's another reminder, call to action, support the site Become a VIP subscriber. And speaking of subscribing, make sure you're doing so to the podcast, y'all. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle.